I think what we need to understand is at all times, where are great humans the best? Where are humans plus AI the best? And where is AI itself the best? All right, today I'm thrilled to be chatting with a remarkable man who's one of the world leaders in human performance optimization. He's a mastermind behind Fount, the unique health and performance startup that's tailoring peak performance for everyone. His relentless quest to push the boundaries of human potential isn't just professional, it's deeply personal. His daily routine is a testament to his commitment and his ambitious vision for Fount is a reflection of his drive to transform the healthcare system into a super coach for all. His path has been nothing short of inspiring, from the military where he led pioneering biotech and human performance studies to founding and leading as the CEO of Fount. His diverse background, complete with multiple degrees from Georgetown University, only serves to enrich his approach to health and performance. So without further ado, welcome to the One Moment Longer podcast, Andrew Herr. How are you, mate? I'm doing well, Greg. Great to be here. When I think about that introduction, you've been very busy. You've uh, you've bounced around. You're obviously eager in trying to understand what is optimal for human performance. But I got one question for you, mate. What's your typical day look like in terms of optimizing your own health performance? Because I'm fascinated by people that are truly into trying to help others, but how, how is your t- typical day look like? So, you know, one of the beautiful things about being uh, the founder or CEO of a company is you can design the workday a little bit more than you might otherwise around optimal performance. So, you know, I know how to shift my circadian rhythm, but naturally I'm a really strong night owl. Huh. So I, I go with that. Yeah. So I'll start my first meeting later in the day, try to have my first meetings at nine or 10 a.m., um, because I know just cognitively, unless I'm, you know, being ultra strict with light and meal timing and other things, mm. that I'm just going to be in a, like a better place. And so I actually I don't work out in the morning. I've run all those experiments to see that um, I'm best to kind of get up, take a little bit to get oriented for the day, um, could journal or meditate a little bit, and then right into my workday works best for me. So I jump right into my workday after I have, and a couple of reporters have now written about this because they find it like quite funny, but um, I've found that the optimal breakfast for me is this rather like strange combination of a lot of almond butter and a lot of olive oil and the right amount of water mixed and it makes like you, you stir it together and make kind of a pudding. And <laughs> like between the protein, the good fats in there, the fiber, like, my body feels great. My gut feels great. So I'm doing, you started out like 800 calories. I'm probably at like 1200 calories in the morning just from that. Wow. Uh, my body absorbs B12 a little bit less well than others. So I'll take a methyl B12 supplement in the morning, um, but otherwise go kind of light with supplements in the morning. And then I'm into my day, lots of water, you know, try to keep the, keep the plastic out of the water situation mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. Um, you know, feel great through lunch do meetings, high cognitive engagement kind of work, record a podcast in the morning uh, if I can. And then into, into lunchtime, um, I find that like, no, I essentially do no carbs in the breakfast, but then I don't do well on a no carb all day. So lunchtime, I'll do typical, you know, chicken, fish. Um, I eat a lot of like black rice, whole grain black rice. I find the anthocyanins 
combined with the whole grain nature make it, you know, my blood glucose spikes are lower, um, feels really good on the body and some sort of veggie that I cook fresh. And then um, into the afternoon, again, like still really strong until try to, you know, finish the first part of my day um, in the early afternoon into a workout. You know, I find for me, nailing the transitions between work and workout, workout and dinner, dinner into either social or back to work, um, nailing those transitions are sort of the key piece for me. Um, supplements with lunch, um, workouts really vary. Um, I'm doing hit kind of stuff. I'm doing, I love running. Um, it's a, it's a mental practice for me as well as a physical practice. Um, and uh, work out with a trainer twice a week and then with myself five the other five days a week and into the evening uh, you know running a startup i'll work a lot of days i work again at night after after working out and eating and again it's like about nailing that nailing that transition so that i'm not wasting time you know if i'm using time i want to be actively relaxing instead of just in that in between you know, I use Twitter for work, so it's not like I can go zero social media. So, but you know, I don't want to get caught in a loop. If I'm going to relax, let's relax. And if I'm going to work, let's work. Um, and then at night I'm super strict on light. Um, I'll at the, you know, near the end of my work night, I'll use blue light blocking glasses and then transition into, you know, I found that the research showing that showers before bed are really helpful or totally apply to me. Mm -hmm. And so my bathroom, bedroom, I've got, um, I've got lights that go red. And so basically there's no blue light from, you know, kind of 30 minutes before I stop working into a shower. So it ends up being an hour, hour or more before bed. So I'm very light sensitive. I have this hypothesis that people who are night owls are more light sensitive, but I don't know if we have any data on that. And then cool room, cool bed, hot shower to cool room, cool bed. Uh, so we get that body temperature drop. And uh, that put, that gives me great quality sleep so that I can get back to it. You're amazing. You know, it's funny. Um, I've said to our team and the fact that most people are working from home or a lot of, you know, the startup world, you know, people working from home and the whole nine to five type thing has kind of been thrown out, you know, with the dishwater. And it's kind of, for me, I'm completely opposite to you, right? Like I wake up naturally at 3.30 in the morning. I like to do work between 4 and 5.30. I go to the gym. I work out for an hour, come home, have breakfast with the kids, get going. But by 3, 4 in the afternoon, everything starts to come downhill pretty quick. Uh, once you get the kids to bed, um, you know, my wife and I, we like to call it our dumb down time. We, we, we watch something on, show, on TV, whatever it is, Netflix or whatever. The best thing that you've said is, knowing yourself, right? Like, you know, you know, when you're productive, so you know when to double down. I think we've all been told you have to get up at 4am, like to be a high achiever. It's like, no, 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 no. Understand yourself. When are you productive? And you know it, even if you're not measuring, you instinctively know when you perform at your best, right? Where are you at? Where are you now? You said you, you're up. I'm based in, I'm based in Los Angeles. Oh, okay. So it is in the morning for you. Cause it's midday here on the East coast in Florida. So 9am for you. It's your first thing you do, you're doing for the day. What a great thing to wake up to. I love it. I love it, mate. And you said you're training a bit. Do you train for anything specifically or just for health? Are you training for events at all? Yeah. I, um, I got into like Spartan kind of obstacle course races maybe six, seven years ago and just really enjoy them. You know, I, I don't do them super competitively, but I like to do, you know, 
ideally a couple like 15 to 30 mile more like the ultra versions you know a couple times a year it's just something to train for it's a full body event it's mental and physical um and so yeah I've, i've really enjoyed getting into those and and the majority of them have done with friends and that's just another bonus what i love to do with guests is is rewind the clock and sort of really unpack how you kind of found your, your passion for this, you know, human performance optimization and where did it all start? So take me back. Tell me about the, your journey. Yeah, I'd say my journey is really a mix of a strong interest, really guided by, by my childhood with just these incredible doses of serendipity. Mm. So my dad's a doctor. I've often said, like, if I lived my life 10 times, I would have been a doctor five of them, you know, probably heard about insurance companies and how painful that is enough <laughs> times to not do that. Um, my mom's side of the family um, had a really rich military history back many generations, including my grandfather, who was like, you know, won everything short of the Medal of Honor in World War II. And so it's a really strong ethos there and, and of service and veneration of the military. And so, you know, found totally by luck in fact, I was walking down the career center or walking down the hallway in my high school and somebody yelled down the hallway and said, hey, you should look at this thing at Georgetown. Honestly, it wasn't even my radar. wasn't even really a friend of mine. Just yelled it down the hallway. <laughs> Ended up finding a program where I could do science, technology, and national security and really combine both of them. Mm. Um, it was great. Ended up deciding if I wanted to do that, I should go deeper into the science and um, ended up doing graduate degrees in health physics, a second one in immunology and a third one in national security policy. And again, serendipity strikes. And I get a call from the career center and they're like, Hey, Andrew, somebody walked in. They said they need someone who does biology, national security and can write. And they're like, we know this guy, Andrew. (laughs) And it was to take over a studies program on the future of human performance for the secretary of defense's private think tank on high level strategy. Wow. Incredible opportunity. Uh, worked with them for three years, running studies on everything from the future of enhancement all the way through to why some units can persevere under extreme levels of stress and others seem to fall apart, leadership aspects of that. And then, you know, transitioned into helping write high level research and development strategy. How do we, you know, how do we think about where to invest, combining patent data? scientific publications, how do we predict where the field's going? How do we look at where venture capital's investing to make sure we don't duplicate them? Um, and then had the opportunity to run a big clinical trial to you know work with individuals getting ready to deploy. Um, just really got very lucky to be able to play in a ton of different sandboxes and and touch kind of various elements of human performance in the military space. That's amazing, mate. I um you know I've read some of your articles in preparation for for this episode and there was one you were, you wrote probably five years ago now and actually not longer, six, seven years ago. Man, the years are going quick. But And it was all about, you know, the government have said they're going to spend more money on the military and it's almost like they're throwing money out but they're not optimizing the people that they have within the military. And you mentioned something about the Vietnam War and how the, for the start of the war the pilots were getting you know, it was a two to one ratio of Americans being shot down and how the Navy, you know, decided to really train, uptrain their pilots with a top gun and, and, the, and the Air Force didn't. Tell me a bit about that study. I'm probably bastardizing it, but that was something I found fascinating. We went into the Vietnam War assuming that we would have an enormous technological advantage, yeah. that our air power would be, um, would do very well against the North Vietnamese. Yeah. 
And as you highlighted, we found that, you know, we were doing better, but we were losing one plane for every two that we shot down. And if we looked at the attrition numbers, it just wasn't going to work well. And part of it was we launched, this was the F-4 Phantom was the first fighter without uh, an internal gun. It was basically, this was going to be the missile age. It was all going to be missiles. And the missiles were not hitting their targets with the frequency that, that the Air Force and, and Navy expected. And so the Navy went back to the drawing board and their conclusion was the pilots don't know how to use the missiles properly and they're not trained properly. And the Air Force went back and said, the missiles aren't tracking properly. And so fast forward, the, they both spend a year, year and a half. Um, there's a ceasefire and, and less um, missions over North Vietnam. And so there's this like natural experiment that gets run between the Air Force and the Navy. And the Air Force fixes the missiles and they go back and they have a two to one exchange ratio, stays the same. And the Navy goes in, and creates what becomes Top Gun, much more realistic training, um, figures out how to turn pilots into the best version of themselves and sends those pilots back to help train their other, the other pilots so they can scale this much faster. Um, and they go to, if I remember the numbers right, they go to like a 12 to one ratio from two to one. Wow. And so, you know, the argument I made in that article was, yes, let's give them better technology, but humans are a technology too. And if we don't think of the humans as a core source of advantage, we're making a huge mistake. Mm. And there's all these ways we can enhance training and beyond. And look, I'm sure you've seen in your uh, athletics career, and I certainly saw working with high performers in the military and outside, you can enhance performance dramatically um, if you use the right tools. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How do you think, staying on this topic for a moment, because it fascinates me, you know, obviously the world's changing very quickly over the last six months with AI. Uh, with the impact of AI and looking at the military specifically, do you think the US military is understanding human performance with AI or is everybody starting to lean so much on tech again, almost like, you know, it's like, okay, let's forget humans again because we got AI. Are you noticing that? I think we're going to see the exact same thing where it's like, great, missiles mean that pilots don't matter. And now it's going to be like AI means yeah. that humans don't matter. Like, yeah. I, I, I've said before that I think this analogy is going to land really hard and, and causes problems. Yeah. Now, there are some things that AI will absolutely be better than a human at. Mm. You know, we had this example when Gary Kasparov loses to Deep Blue and an AI, AI becomes the best at chess, that two things happened. One, um, initially, people realized that if you combined a human and a computer, you could beat the computers still. So they call it centaur chess. But over time, the computers became better than human computer teams. And so I think what we need to understand is at all times, where are humans, where are great humans the best? Where are humans plus AI the best? Mm -hmm. And where is AI itself the best? Look, in something where there's a microsecond reaction time required, a, you know, or sub microsecond, a human is just not going to be able to operate there. But I think for quite a while here, there at the sort of seconds to minutes to hours timescale with high complexity missions, humans plus computers are probably the optimal system. You know, it's just a question of where. Like, I'm I'm not dogmatic about this. I want the best outcome. I want our warfighters to have an advantage. I never want a fair fight. And so <laughs> yeah. my question is, where, where are we? The How do we make our organization the best? And it's going to be different for different organizations. If you're a country that starts with lower quality um, recruits or people, 
then you might go to AI faster. But if we have, you know, arguably the best trained people in the world, then you might keep humans longer and that might be the right choice. So, you know, it's going to be different for different organizations. But yes, I think we are likely to try to leapfrog human computer teams. And that will probably be a mistake, even if in the long term, some missions will be done better just by AI. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, we're at the frontier of something very, very new. I think there's a lot of everybody trying to predict. It's either predicting in an exciting way of AI or it's <laughs> predicting like, oh, hell, what have we done type way, right? And we're all kind of like, ah, are you using AI within your company? Have you been quick to, to grab hold of that? Yeah, we have. In ways that we use it day to day to help make it easier, for example, and one of the things we do for our clients is we design experiments. And so we have a huge knowledge base of the interventions and tools we use. And so we can use AI to more quickly generate the full experiment, fully written experiment tailored to somebody. Mm. But what I'm most excited about is where we're going with AI, which is, look, we run really incredible performance optimization coaching programs we can get you your blood work done and analyze your wearable data and do these deep dives into your schedule, habits, environment, family history, all these things to give context to the labs and the wearables, and then coach you through habit building, run experiments around tools, figure out what works for you because the thing that works best for me could be bad for you and vice versa. But look, it just doesn't scale. And actually, this is the big conclusion I took from the military um, was, look, if we need to tune up a thousand special ops people, like we'll build a facility, we'll bring in some elite coaches, no problem. But how do we go from there to 100,000 army grunts where you can't spend that money? Mm. And I didn't only want to do that to improve performance, but I you know, state, frankly feel we have an ethical responsibility to do that because if they perform better in war, they're going to get injured or killed less, they're going to achieve their missions better. Plus, there's just the kind of return on investment, I think, which will be very high. Similarly, I came out of the military, I'd be speaking at conferences and executives come to me and be like, look, I get with the Navy SEALs, but what should I be doing? Yeah, yeah. So I built an executive coaching business and it was the same thing. Like, we know how to do this for people in the C-suite, entrepreneurs, executives. How do we do this for everyone? And the conclusion was... It's got to be customized because I've just seen how important that is. And I want three levels of customization to your body so it works, to your goals so you care, and to your lifestyle so it sticks. Mm -hmm. And so how do we get that intensive level of customization? And what we came to the conclusion was, well, right now it's not possible because all the data in our field is garbage. Not all of it, but, you know, many of the studies are one test at the beginning, one test at the end, a group of 100 people if you're lucky, smaller if you're not. And so what? So I'm supposed to make decisions about my life based on the average of 100 people who aren't me? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That doesn't make any sense. Like, would you want to run your company based on the data from the average of your 100 competitors? I wouldn't. I want to run it based on the data from my company and my body. And so what we realized, though, was to get the quality of data you'd need to do this right, you wouldn't want one experiment per person. You'd want dozens. You could look at patterns. If A works, what about B and C and D, E, F and G? You'd want regular high fidelity, high frequency data. So ideally blood work and wearable data and self-report and compliance. Um, And you want it over a big population. And when I looked at the work I was doing then with executives, I realized we were collecting exactly that data set. 
every client was going through dozens of experiment cycles. We were getting the data we needed. And so what I realized was if you could scale up a program like that, you'd be fully aligned with your customers because you know that you want the data set to show what works. So you, your goal is to get them to what works as fast as possible. And so that's what we've built. We've built this incredible coaching program where we can take you from zero to 60 or from 60 to 95 very quickly with, you know, you get a former special operator as a coach who we've trained to be an expert in these fields. And that data we're using to train AI models to give a digital coach to everyone who can't afford it. See, I think that's, I think that's where we start to see like you were talking about before, where the, the humans are strong and where we can leverage AI together. So when you think about, okay, everybody can have their own performance coach through an AI, but you'll still have the, the data collection and the humans at the core of what you're building. And I think that's really impactful. When, when you look at Found, and you've kind of described in within you know what you just said, your mission and what you hope to do, which I think is phenomenal, by the way. When you look at the clients you've had, what have been some of the big success stories that sort of stand out without mentioning names, obviously? A <laughs> uh, uh, CEO came in and is getting ready to take his company public, mm. has a lot of stress and finds that whenever he uses caffeine, nicotine, any stimulants, Adderall just shatters his sleep, but needs that level of focus to push through this last three month period. I think it was a three month period. And so we had to figure out how to give that client the focus without really heavily impacting their sleep. And I'm telling you, like any little bit of a stimulant would have really negative effects. And, you know, there was some trauma there uh, in addition, which, you know, makes it much more complicated and can make the sympathetic nervous system, that fight or flight system much more sensitive, let's say. Mm-hmm. And so we went through this odyssey of testing the things we use that have some stimulating effect, but also a calming effect. You know, so cocoflavanols um, can have a little bit of a stimulatory effect, but also in many people will lower cortisol levels. They increase blood vessel flexibility. They break the, break the link between stress hormones and inflammation. Same problem. Didn't work. Sleep, major sleep problems. Okay. Uh, we looked at combining things that can calm the body down. Breathwork had some benefits. Meditation for this client, he liked it, but it wasn't doing anything, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, so we made a little progress there. And then, you know, the real breakthrough was the, ref- you know, in many cases, how do you reframe this, which is, okay, this person needs to be focused without, you know, affecting their sympathetic nervous system. And so I was like, let me just think about that super reductively. He needs dopamine without adrenaline. Mm. You know, super reductive. You know, normally I like to think expansively, but so we went through this, you know, set of um, tests where we were looking at how we can increase the dopamine levels. And in the end, by supplementing, you know, the amino acids that are precursors to dopamine, like tyrosine, with the breath work to calm sympathetic nervous system and some other tools, we got him where he needed to be. He's like, you know, it's the moment he was like, Look, I know this is programs about running experiments, but I'm exactly where I need to be. I cannot change anything till we get this company public. And he did. And, and so we get, you know, figured out how do you solve both problems at the same time? I love that you didn't come and say, this is the solution. It was kind of, okay. It's almost admitting, look, 
you are unique and you are an individual and we are going to, there's going to be a bit of experimentation. So work with us, right? And so it's like the client doesn't come, okay, there's my button, I'm done. It's like understanding we are going to be experimenting with you. We are going to, it is going to be a little bit of trial and error early on. Have you guys experimented a little off topic because I'm, I'm in this sort of same area that you're in terms of experimental stuff. And um, actually, if you can see I have an Apollo Neuro on my wrist. I don't know if you've heard of that company. I don't know. Maybe it's all placebo, but I've found having these vibrational sensors that are sent into me, into my body. Like right now I have it set for social and open. Do you know Apollo Neuro and have you experimented with that at all? Only just a little bit. Yeah. You know, there's definitely some research there. And it's interesting if you look at there's some bands out there that are meant for preventing motion sickness right. worn in the same spot in the body. Right, also right. Using pulsed uh, vibration. There's so there's you know there's definitely. I'm not sponsored by them or anything, by the way. So you can say whatever you want. <laughs> I'm no, just no, curious. No. You know, look, <laughs> I think what I've seen is all as with almost any tool in the space. Yeah. Some people seem to find a real benefit from it, and others it doesn't seem to do anything. Right. It seems to be a safe modality thing, you know, so, but yeah, I, you know, there's definitely an effect, you know, this, this wrist is a really, you know, there's these points and, you know, it's so interesting when you talk to like traditional Chinese medicine practitioners and they'll talk about this area of the body as well. So, you know, there's some, there's some real stuff there and it's knowledge that's been known for thousands of years also. So yeah, I do think there's some benefits there. I was recently talking to and looking at the research. Um, there's some, these protocols now where they use sound at specific frequencies where they can also tune music and it seems to be able to affect your sympathetic nervous system, your vagus nerve. And so, you know, I think we've been so focused as a met, at least the medical establishment has been on, you know, small molecules and chemicals and drugs that, you know, breathing, vibration, sound, heat, temperature, cold therapy, light. Yeah. I think, I think these modalities have been, underappreciated and I'm really excited to see them coming back. I have this hypothesis that one of the reason that's, you know, we've discovered that when you fly, there's an inf inflammatory response caused by the pressure changes. Mm. But I also believe the vibrations in flight are really affecting people. Yeah. Um, so just to touch on, you know, the role of vibration. So bring it full circle. Yes, we see some people who get benefits from like Apollo Neuro. And if it works for you, then fantastic. <laughs> Again, comes back to the individual. You mentioned flying and it was when they brought the, the Boeing, the 787 in, which sits you at a little bit less of an altitude, you know, between flying between the US and Australia or wherever it was. And we were flying 100,000 miles a year. So we were always on planes. And when that was one of the biggest things I noticed was getting on a plane, which only takes you to 6,000 feet of compression rather than eight and a half thousand. And, and it's almost like when, when people go from Boulder to, to Vail and the difference yeah. between living in those two spots. And I'd always laugh when people would, would, you know, they would decompress the plane and everyone passes out, you know, and it's like just because they're shooting you up to that altitude at a very quick rate and then they shoot you back down at the other end and the impact on the body in terms of going very high at altitude to, to sea level. And it, that to me was always a fascinating study. And so it became any time I could pick my plane, you know, the 787, I'd pick that over any other aircraft just to try and get to the destination, which is something I, we played around 100%, with. 100%. And yeah, we, you know, basically we've done the work to figure out what's going on there yeah. um, at an even, at a biochemical level. You're absolutely right. We recommend any of our clients who have the choice, choose a 787 or an A350. An A3, yeah, yeah. Has a better carbon pressure. Yeah. And, and turns out this comes out of research in the dive world that um, people who are into scuba diving will know about decompression sickness in the bends. 
Uh-huh. And it turns out that it's not just the nitrogen bubbles that come out of your blood. It turns out that the Benz is an inflammatory response caused by this transition from high to low pressure. Wow. And so when you go from high to low pressure in a plane, you're getting a mini version of this inflammatory response. Interesting. You're actually getting like a mini Benz when you fly, which then explains why you're not allowed to fly after diving because you can get this problem. Oh, that's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, that's the thing. I feel like I've self-experimented a lot of this, but I don't know the science. You guys are taking it to the next level and kind of, yeah, there's some information out there. Let's dive a little bit deeper. What, what, about, um, what about mushrooms, you know? Uh, Which version? <laughs> well, I, I, I take lion's mane mushrooms uh, a lot during the day. I take cordyceps if I'm working out, chaga if I'm getting sick. Um, what are your thoughts? Have you done much experimentation around, you know, some of the mushroom teas and mushrooms that people take? Obviously not the, well, maybe the hallucinogenic as well, but they're, they're not the ones I'm actually talking about. Yeah, I try to pick a theme every year to deep dive in. And so, or every, really every maybe about six months. And so my last theme was single amino acids and really going deep on single amino acid supplementation. And there's really some very cool things you can do with cognitive and immune performance and others. And so actually my next one is uh, on mushrooms. Uh, well, let's talk about s- single amino acids then real br- quickly, because if that's fresh okay, on your mind. mushrooms too, but yeah. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if that one's fresh on your mind, well, we can talk about both, but I, the single amino acids, what are, when you talk about cognitive function, what are some big takeaways for people that are just trying to be more clear during the day? You know, I mentioned before this ability to use, we use for this client dopamine precursors to really help them focus in. Mm. And so the, you know, two steps, the sort of second precursor to dopamine is the amino acid L-tyrosine. And if you take a dose of tyrosine when you've just eaten, you have a lot of amino acids in your blood. So your tyrosine levels will go up, but it won't be a, a very strong, it won't be nearly as strong um, an outlier. Hmm. But what we, fi- what we find is for many people, if they take a dose of L-tyrosine, like a thousand milligrams on an empty stomach or before lunch, um, they get this big spike and it's, you know, one of the, you know, it's sort of dramatically then at a higher level compared to other amino acids in the blood. And we find that obviously not everyone, but a very large proportion of people will notice um, a much stronger sense of focus and drive during that time. Mm. But as with anything that's a relatively immediate precursor, we like to only do that maybe three, four times a week maximum because you don't want your body to get used to it. So you want to have at least a couple of days, you know, three days off a week. So your body doesn't get used to it, but we find, and we will then combine that with some people with L-theanine, which can give them, you know, a greater sense of calm and calm plus focus is amazing. Then you're really um, in it. Some people will, will combine that with um, a little bit of, you know, stimulant too, like caffeine or something else. So, you know, there's different kind of mixes there depending on the person. But we find that some people get a really nice drive there. You know, certainly there's tons of research on amino acids and working out. So often we'll use a spread of all the essential amino acids together. But, you know, leucine and these other amino acids for muscle gains. You know, I think some of the other stuff we're thinking about is like amino acids and uh, immune function. Um, So, for example, there's some interesting research on amino acids and um, people who have viral infections like a herpes infection. And so it doesn't necessarily seem to prevent getting infected, but if you have herpes, like a, you know, cold sores in your mouth, 
then like the amino acid lysine can actually decrease the rate of recurrences, for example. And so we're looking at at a, a client who was having recurrences, they're actually a pro athlete, and you want to really make sure around competition they're not um, having any issues. And so, you know, it's the kind of thing you can layer on, for example, drives down in recurrences pretty quickly. So, you know, just thinking about, you know, we use a lot of um, L-theanine, which is an amino acid found in tea, um, can give a calming effect um, with a great safety profile and doesn't typically make people drowsy. So it can be really nice in the morning if you want to have like, you know, kind of offset some of the effects of the natural cortisol spike and other things. So and it's just a few things that come to mind um, in that world. Um, there's, there's many more. A quick mini break to let you know about any question. Any question is the place where we have over 1,200 world-leading experts from sports to healthcare, military, first responders, pets, and everything else in between that are there answering your questions. You can listen to all 75,000 answers that are already there, and you can ask your own questions to either one expert or multiple experts and get their answers delivered straight to you via video or audio. It really is a wonderful service. You can download it on iOS or Android or go to anyquestion.com. You can go to anyquestion.com forward slash Greg Bennett and download it there. It's all free, so go check it out. When somebody signs up for Fount, you'll do all of the the testing on the wearables, the blood work and everything else. And then you're getting, because of, you've obviously got a tremendous expertise in the nutraceuticals and and the supplementation, you're putting together a program for somebody so they can walk away, get the specifics in terms of amino acids and any other nutrients that you're looking at. You're also putting a guide in place for their mental and emotional approaches to things. So whether it be breath work or getting people to neutral in terms of some of the gratitude work or whatever. And you're basically holding their hand the whole way through. Um, so would, if I sign up and you'd be saying, Greg, do this sauna work, do this cold plunge work, depending on what my goals are, that's kind of how you, you deliver the package. Yeah, exactly. So we start with your goals. Yeah. Like, I'm not here to tell you what's, what you want in life. You tell me what you want. Yeah. But we do have a really nice way of helping you think expansively about it. Because I'll tell you, when you ask them what their goals are, the first thing they tell you is rarely what they actually want. No, no, no. Exactly. What is it you truly want? It's like a, I used to work for this company, did some contract work for Hinsa Performance out of, out of Finland. They work with a lot with the Formula One drivers and teams. And and uh, and I remember Aki Hinsa telling me, he said, yeah, I was interviewing this ex- executive and he, he said, uh, he's like, you know, well, what's most important to you in life? He's like, oh, my family and, you know, my kids. I said, okay, okay, well, let's look at your week right now. Okay, so you work 80 hours a week and you're with your family eight hours a week. Um, <laughs> are you sure that's your goals? You know, it was more the point of that story is more uh, being honest and truthful with yourself. What does matter to you? And it's okay if work is your focus for different periods of your life. But don't kid yourself by saying your family is the priority at that point. It's something else for that moment in your life, you know? Or if you, yeah, and if you want to make family your priority, let's work on that. Yeah. And let's understand what yeah. the blockers are. If you're truthful, you. if that is the truth, you know, yeah. I feel like we've all been told that's what you have to say. And yeah. I look, personally, that is my case, but it doesn't have to be, you know, if it's not, be honest. That's all. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. And being honest and, you know, a lot of people at the end of the call will throw something in that maybe they're embarrassed about, yeah. maybe they're like, and I'd like more libido or something. And you know what? Yeah, that's fine. Um, so, you know, I think basically just tell us what you need Yeah, and we're very happy to 
help you get there. And that can change over time and that's okay too. So what do we do? We, yeah, absolutely. We're going to, you know, basically look at your goals, put that together with, you know, a review of your physiology, um, labs, wearable data, and really where you are, like you said, your schedule, hundred percent, we're going to look at environment, family history. And we're going to say, here's what we think is going on in your body. Here's the tools we think are most likely to help most quickly and be the easiest to fit in your lifestyle. That's that habit piece. So let's both run the experiment to see if they're working and then start the habit formation process. Mm-hmm. And so we're combining habit formation with experimentation, which I think is not something you really see out there because almost everyone who's doing habit formation is giving you the plan and we want to run experiments. And so you have to do that in a little bit of a nuanced fashion. And we're going to look across nutrition, supplements, meditation, breath work, sleep, light, temperature, exercise, recovery. So all the tools actually work short of, you know, needles and prescriptions. And we're going to work through, you know, most of our clients start with a six-month subscription. And we do that because it gives us the time to figure out what's working and build the habits. Now, the most of our clients sign up to continue afterwards anyways, because they want to keep going. They want to, you know, keep, they've made a ton of progress. They want to you know, find new tools, find new approaches, build new habits. Plus they love having that one-on-one relationship with a coach on our team. Mm -hmm. Um, But even if you don't, I want you to leave this experience having the knowledge of how your body works and the tools to make the tools and understanding to make decisions that, Hey, you know what? I know going out and partying in Vegas is going to make me feel worse next week and it's worth it. Mm -hmm. No problem. Here's how to mitigate it. And another way being like, you know what? I want to be focused. I have, you know, time with my family. I have work stuff and I know how to, I know how to optimize for that. So we want to give you the tools, the operating manual for your body, both habits and modalities. I love this. This is absolutely fantastic. And I think uh, a lot of us, you know, we, we, we might have a coach for our physical performance or a trainer in the gym, but to have somebody that's educating you and giving you the tools to take control of your own life, right? And, and, and know who you are, like educate yourself on who you are. Like we started the show, you know yourself in terms of when you're most productive. I know myself when I'm most productive. That's a good starting point, right? And then what are you, what is, what's your real purpose in your life? Um, I think it's fantastic. When you think about building Fount out um, using AI so everybody can kind of have access to some form of coaching. What does that actually look for, like for you going for? Yeah, it looks like it's coming soon, actually. <laughs> oh, good um, man. Which is really exciting. So what does it look like? It looks like a co- digital coach. You know, it'll start with chat and text because these new AI models are so good at that and we want to go as quickly as we can. And over time, it'll evolve into video and, and conversation. Mm-hmm. So it'll, it'll look like a digital coach that helps collect the information from you, knows what questions to ask based on your goals. Mm-hmm. We'll be able to import and analyze any data you give it. We'll be, we're going to be wearable agnostic. You've got Whoop, you've got Aura, you've got Apple Watch, you've got an eight, um, an eight sleep, you've got um, level CGM. Great. Bring it. We'll, we can ingest that data. It'll analyze the data for you. It'll take your goals. It'll collect the extra data it needs. And it'll say, okay, based on your goals, based on this, here's the first experiments we're going to run to help you get towards your goals. And, you know, let's say somebody comes and they want to improve their sleep, big request we get, you know, we're going to look at, you know, 
all the data we have and we say, okay, for you, we want to run this experiment, um, you know, three days this week, take a shower before bed. Simple thing. It's actually a lot of data on this helping and actually some kind of cool physiology about why it works. It's amazing, by the way. Keep going. We'll, we'll touch on that. And again. then we're going to get the data from your sleep tracker and we're going to start to look for a signal. Now, are you going to get a statistically significant change in three days worth of data? Maybe, maybe not, but we're going to look at trends and then we're going to continue to track over time. If it looks like it's working, then let's build that habit in and continue to make sure, okay, it does look like we've reached, you know, we're getting a sustained benefit from that. Mm -hmm. Because the thing is, if I ask you to do something that takes time or mental effort and it's not working, it's not, oh, it's okay. It's just not, it's not doing anything. It's actually has a major cost because you only have so much time and mental effort. So we want to make sure anything we ask you to do is working. That's where the experimental approach comes and then the habit building layers on top of that. So this digital coach is going to check in with you every day. Did you do it? How did you feel? It's going to look, ingest your sleep data directly from your wearable. So basically it will be the coach you have today in our team. Um, obviously won't be able to have that relationship and that nuanced level to be and, and we'll start with a beginner version because, you know, frankly, it's easier to make a tool for beginners than experts. But um, we want to give you the same experiment driven methodology, which is the only way to figure out what's right for you. Yeah. Well, I think in terms of a business, I can almost see it for you where you have you have the basic levels and then you can have tiers that people can upgrade to over time, right? And then obviously the, the customer service level where you're working with one of your coaches um, will be fantastic. I want to get into a couple of specifics before I let you go. Um, you have your own fly kit. Tell me about that. What is that specific for? So I mentioned before that, mm. um, you know, we discovered there's this inflammatory response when you go to altitude and planes, you've, you know, you've experienced it and we're figuring out ways to manage it. And it turns out this plays a giant role in jet lag. Mm. So the inflammatory response makes it very hard to get quality sleep and very hard to shift your circadian rhythm, plus makes you feel bad directly. So no wonder when you land in, if you go back to Australia, for example, you go to Europe, Asia, People feel bad, they can't sleep, their rhythms are off. And so we've discovered that if you mitigate the um, inflammatory response and then bring all the tools together, meal timing, insulin regulation, the amount of sleep you get, light, um, light blocking and supplements, that we can actually shift your circadian rhythm and get you to have a good quality sleep your first night at destination. So we're now sending 90, 95% of people anywhere in the world with no jet lag. It's a five supplement system and they're all timed for you to use them at the optimal time based on you input some questions about your body, your sleep cycle at home, your sleep cycle that you want at your destination. We inject you ingest your flights and you get a totally customized program about when to eat, sleep, exactly how long, and when to use this five supplement system plus the blue light glasses we give you. Um, and you know, we see we see incredible effects. We just sent a group of USA triathletes over to oh. Spain to compete, um, and just got some emails back being like in Ibiza. That were just that yeah, in yeah. Ibiza, so right? Yeah, yeah. How, Cameron Schiller just emailed me and said like. Hey, it worked exactly like you said. That's amazing. That's awesome. Because uh, we we always found that that traveling east was brutal. Like I'm I'm taking the family to Australia in June from Florida, which is a hell of a trip, by the way. <laughs> but going trip. west, we don't feel too bad. You arrive at seven in the morning. You you hang out, and by five p.m., you're like, okay, go to bed. But coming back, especially all the way to Florida, 
that is a brutal, brutal trip. Um, and I found even the times when I would fly from Colorado to Europe, I found the jet lag to be brutal going east. So getting that feedback from the athletes that you just, you know, the USA triathlon athletes that you gave it to, there'd be interesting data actually to see how they did perform off it because going to Spain, it, it, it can be tough. Um, how can people buy the fly kit separate of buying all the other services or? Yep. So we've launched this now publicly off our website, okay. you know, .bio. And so you can now buy your own fly kit. You, you download the app from the app store, you get the physical kits, got everything you need. Um, and, you know, USA soccer uses it to go to the world cup, special ops units use it. So we're really excited to now have it out there. And um, we've done a lot of work to get the costs down. And so we just dropped the price in half, which we're really excited about. So it's Good man. it's only 99 bucks to add for the full round trip. And, you know, if you're paying $1,000 for an airplane ticket. <laughs> At least. You know, if, if you can some. do it without jet lag, you know, is 99 bucks an add-on worth it? We think so. We hope you do too. No, congrats, mate. That's huge. And that's one I'm going to, as soon as we hang up here, I'm going to be looking at it. That, that sounds fantastic. I have another, another question for you. And it, it's a little bit more um, about physical and sort of mental performance. Um, I, I'm curious as to how important it is for us to focus both on physical and mental and, and, and emotional resilience. I, I kind of, I feel like we all focus very hard on the physical, but what training tools have you got for, for building up the emotional resilience? I think, and, and I guess on that same question is understanding emotional resilience versus mental fortitude. Let's just start with objective data showing how important this is. Mm. So the best data that, that I've seen published out of the military showing who makes it into special ops versus who doesn't it's not the people with the best physical fitness. I mean, obviously you have to be incredibly fit, Yeah. but the best predictors are the ones that are tied to people's ability to perform at a high level cognitively under large amounts of stress. Mm. Hormones related to that, um, psychological profiles related to that. So this stuff is incredibly important. Mm. Um, and so what can we do to enhance our resilience? So I think there's sort of, tools to modulate our sympathetic nervous system, fight or flight. So breath work and meditation, and there's different varieties of those. Um, you know, there's breath work to amp you up and breath work to calm you down. And I think understanding where you are. So we all have this inverted you relationship with stress and performance. So at very low stress, you're kind of on the left side, you're at low, you're not focused, you're not paying attention. And then there you get more and more stress and then you're performing your optimal and then too much. And you start coming down the other side mm. of the unit drops, drops, drops. So do you need to be amped up more or calm down at any given time? And I find with CEOs, they actually often think that they need more stress, more stress to perform better. And actually they need more calm, more calm to perform better. And so that's, that's something we work on. Tools there, breath work, meditation I mentioned. We use amino acids. We use supplements that can amp you up or calm you down. Um, we use exercise to put you in the right mental state. So there's both exercise can amp you up, but also afterwards the endorphins, you know, there's kind of a, a relaxation period. And so if we do recovery right, maybe we're going to accelerate recovery like a yoga nidra. Um, then we can definitely put you in a state where you might be especially calm and focused now for the next hour or two. Um, and so I think the last thing is got to understand yourself. You know, I think, um, you know, executive coaching is very common in the startup and business world. And I've found that 
executive coaches who are also psychologists can be a huge benefit to people. So, you know, I work with a coach psychologist every week because if I understand why I'm doing things better at a deep level, and thankfully I think I'm, you know, finally have a pretty good sense of what's going on under the hood, doesn't mean I can always control it the way I want. But no, yeah, you, you, want, you know why you, you're behaving a certain way. <laughs> it's dramatically valuable yeah, because yeah. you start to see your own patterns that were otherwise invisible. And so, and then from there, you know, you mentioned earlier gratitude practice. You know, some people might feel like that's pretty fuzzy, but if we think of meditation as in the simplest sense as repetitively activating a part of your brain to stress it, just like you'd stress your bicep by doing bicep curls with a dumbbell, if you think about meditation in that sort of frame as exercise, if you're intentionally using your gratitude circuits, they're going to become stronger and you're going to be more likely to, you know, to fall back on them. And feeling gratitude more during your life is an incredibly powerful thing. So I think, you know, this idea that um, some of this stuff is too fuzzy, too lovey-dovey, you know, loving kindness, no, no, meditation, no, no. gratitude. It, it works. It works. It, it works. It's yeah, real. Yeah. And the, the science is like quite clear about it. So I think bringing all these together. And the last thing I'll say is I did a bunch of work on teams that can perform well under stress for the military and teams that have high trust and confidence in each other and trust and confidence being slightly different. Trust being you won't stab me in the back and confidence being like you can follow through on your promises. And then high mission focus, those are the parameters that draw that are the key drivers of performance. And so, um, you know, I think that's you know, the other piece is like, are you in a group? Are you on a team? Is your company being driven by those? And uh, look, I'm not always perfect. And, you know, my team calls me out when I'm off alignment with those. And, and then it's my job as the CEO to get back on alignment with those. Yeah, I love that. Look, I think recognizing that None of us will ever be perfect, by the way. I think that's a word that we can all just throw away because there's no such thing as perfect. <laughs> but but I think the more we just keep trying to understand ourselves, you know, my big journey, you know, people have listened would know is being, my goal is always to get myself to neutral. You know, it's uh, it's not to be positive all the time or, or be happy all the time. It's like to to try and remove negativity where I, when and where I can, right? And I remember this morning I woke up and I was a bit a bit phasey. I've been a bit under the weather, so I'll just go for a walk, you know. And it's amazing when you feel tired, fatigued, under the weather, negativity seems to want to creep in more and more. And you can probably tell me more about the science of it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's hard to get yourself back to neutral on those days. I'm like, no, you go and you start with gratitude right now and you practice your breathing. And it's like, okay, my gratitude starts. Roof over my head, running water, air conditioning down here. Basic things, right? Basic. And then I just keep building and building and building to the point life perspective changes and I'm back at neutral, right? And it's like, but it takes training. It takes training because when you want to go on that negative spiral, it's amazing how negativity builds on negativity, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, and yeah, like you said, we, we even understand the physiology of it. You know, as you activate your sympathetic nervous system, as you cortisol levels get higher, it downregulates your prefrontal cortex, the higher thinking part of your brain, goal-directed behavior. It Cortisol actually prevents that part of your brain from bringing fuel in. Mm. So it kind of downregulates it even further. Um, you mentioned feeling sick or under the weather. Inflammation has, you know, activates the parts of your brain that are about emotional reactivity and other things. So um, all that in, it increases anxiety. So all that to say, you're 100% agree with you. Like, but you've trained yourself to notice it. 
And that's the thing is like, if you do these exercises enough, you are habit, you habitually will notice it. You've trained yourself to notice it and then you can break the loop. But if you don't do it and you don't intentionally notice it, and by the way, when you, when they train people to meditate, what do they teach you? Okay. If you, if you drift off the thing you're focusing on your breath, just bring it back. Don't judge yourself. Cause you don't want to activate those circuits, <laughs> but just bring it back. And so you're training to notice when your attention drifts. And so similarly for you, you're training to notice when your mood drifts. Isn't it funny? I, I don't know if you ever have this where you wake up with that and maybe it is all around cortisol, but we call it, my wife and I call it 1am brain or 2am brain where you wake up and it feels like the world's fallen apart, right? Like everything feels way worse than it should be. I don't know if listeners have this, but my wife and I both, both have it. And it's like, I'm getting better at taking myself out of that. And what I've realized that works for me is I'm allowed to think about one thing and it has to be something that's fun. So it's visualizing my serve in tennis and I'm a rubbish tennis player or, or catching the perfect right hand or on a wave and body surfing this beautiful wave. And I have to keep that. That's the only thing I'm allowed to think about. And I keep doing that and doing that and doing that until I can go back to sleep. So that's, a little sidetrack, but it, it's kind of, when you mentioned cortisol, I kind of feel like that's probably what's going on in, in my body during that one or 2 a.m. My cortisol levels a little off. Um, but having techniques that you can put in place to react to that, I think is is really great. Um, well, mate, this, this has been fantastic. I do have a couple more questions for you. I've been focused a lot myself on hot and cold therapy recently, um, doing a lot of cold plunging and a lot of... Uh, holding my breath, submersion, more because it's an athlete mentality and I want to see how long I can hold my breath. I don't know the science. I don't know why I do it. It's, uh, but have you, do you have your clients experiment with, you know, dry sauna, steam rooms, uh, yeah. and, and then cold plunging? What have you found that, you know, people like or works? Quite a bit. Um, you know, we definitely see benefits on both. Um, you know, I really like a traditional hot sauna. You know, I like infrared sauna as well, but I think traditional hot sauna, mm, Me too. what you do there is you're getting hot air impinging on the lungs and that hot air is going to cause the lungs to react and build up, you know, release more protective compounds and other things. And so mm. we think that actually the hot, I, I believe that the traditional hot sauna is the best of the, you know, is a, maybe a little better than infrared because of the lung effects. And you see this in studies in, in Scandinavia where they have, you know, a tremendous drop in upper respiratory infections. And I think that's the cause. To be fair, infrared sauna may also have some other very interesting benefits with the infrared wavelengths on inflammation and mitochondrial. So, you know, that's my gut reaction. I also like infrared sauna. So nothing against that. Both can be tremendous. And then cold therapy, again, we think of these as hormetic stressors, or, you know, hormesis being this concept where you're causing stress on the body and it's reacting in a way that makes it more capable afterwards. So mm. exercise is a hormetic stressor. So cold there, you know, cold, we see people get a lot of clarity afterwards. I'm seeing people with some drops in inflammation, um, for sure. My favorite version of this being of a, I have a friend who had a vasectomy and a lot of pain afterwards. And of course that part of your body is pretty exposed to the cold and cold plunge was the thing that basically solve that pain best mm, for him. Mm. The one thing with cold plunge you got to be really smart about is you don't want to do it right after a workout. Why? Well, you're actually going to decrease muscle uh, blood flow, decrease inflammation in the muscles. And that inflammation is part of the hypertrophy and recovery process. And mm. so you just got to make sure you want to 
hour and a half or so at least between your workout and any cold plunging. So that's a kind of just a, a caveat there. But yeah, we definitely see tremendous benefits. You know, again, this idea that stressing your body causes it to come back stronger is true all the way to a point. If you stress it too much, it will break it down. Mm. So you just got to find the point where you're not overtraining. And these are other pieces of that puzzle where you're not overusing them. But man, a cold plunge sauna, a couple cycles of that, uh, every day for me and I'm blissed out. Yeah, you're the same. I've, I find the the cold plunge just I come out and and I'm getting a bit addicted to it now. And what I mean by that is I don't know if I'm getting the same responses as I used to. Like I'm kind of my body's almost like, yeah, we know we're doing that. So we're not going to give you as much dopamine and, and good effects. But, you know, our gym that opened down here, I, I, I was getting into it, you know, about eight months ago when it opened up and man, I came home and it could just take on the world, right? And then now, yeah, totally. now, now I still do it, but it's, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. Well, Andrew, this has been fantastic. I do have a few more questions just to run through real quick with you, if that's okay. What advice would you give your 18-year-old self? Plans are less valuable than action. I love that. Thank you. That's a really good one. All right. Three people, non-family, living or dead, who you'd love to have dinner with? Oh, um... Richard Feynman, great scientist and very funny author, mm-hmm. one of the great geniuses in physics in the world. You know, somebody like somebody like Patton, because I'd love to love to understand his psychology better. And uh, you know, with the military family history, you know, I, I think that's I think he's a really interesting character. Mm-hmm. And last person, I have a lot of family history on one side of my family, on my mom's side, and on my dad's side, I don't have a lot of family history. So I'd love to just meet some of the people before they, you know, came mm. to the U.S. and when they immigrated to the U.S., I'd love to know more about that story. You know, it's, again, understanding myself better by understanding my, where I came from and family history better. I love that, mate. Well, Andrew, I know you got to run. I know you got a company and everything else to run. This has been really outstanding, mate. And congrats on everything. I know you did a really wonderful Series A uh, funding not so long ago with, with, with Fount. Very well deserved. I'm looking forward to all the AI innovations that you're about to implement and drop on us. I'm looking forward to trying out the the fly kit for our travel to Australia. I'm going to go grab a couple of those. But, um, mate, this has been fantastic. Before you go, what's next for for you uh, the rest of the day and for fun in the future here? Um, Got some really great partnership calls. We're getting ready to... Um, you know, we just launched not only the fly kit, but the, oh, no, I didn't use fly kit. I have jet lag. How do I... What's the rescue kit? Um, We've got a... 80 to 90% solution to PMS we're about to launch. And then um, by before the end of the summer, you will have the first version of Found AI out there. So I've got, we've got all that coming as a company. And personally today, I've got um, got some great calls coming up with partners, as I said, and then mm. um, you know, get that workout in this afternoon and see some friends to have that emotional connection time as well. Oh, mate, you're the best. Um, I'd love to continue this conversation with you in the future just the two of us. Um, this Let's was really, it. really profound. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, so thanks for coming on, mate. Thanks, Greg. Really appreciate it. If people want to come visit us, the website's fount.bio, F-O-U-N-T dot B-I-O. You know, we're at fount.bio on Instagram and Twitter. And my personal Twitter is Andrew Her Bio, Andrew H-E-R-R-B-I-O. And uh, come say hi. DMs are open. That's awesome. I'll put all of that in the show notes for everybody. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. And you can find all the show notes and timestamps at bennettendurance.com forward slash media. Thanks so much, Greg. It's been incredible. Thanks a lot for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Patreon page 
or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.